Yo, what's up, everybody? You're listening to Between the Gutters, the podcast where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Drew Tan, and with me is... This is me, Albert Lamb. Yup. And today we have another special episode for you guys. A little bit of a switch up uh, from what we normally do, where we tend to focus on uh, some specific comics or characters or concepts. But I think uh, just in these past couple episodes, we've been talking about uh, event comics and crossovers and things, Um, especially uh, with our last two episodes, we discussed the X-Men and and Spider-Man. For some reason, that ended up uh, leading... Albert and me into having conversations about what we would do if we had our own events. So I thought we'd take a little time today just to throw out a few fun fantasy uh, comic book ideas. Um, but before we get all into that, here's here's a question for you, Albert. A question, just a warm-up question that has nothing to do with the main topic today. Uh, but it was a fun question that my buddy Tim asked me, and he thought it would be a good one for us to tackle on the show. Cool. But the question is, what comic in your collection would you be most mad if somebody stole from you? Whew. Oh, man. Dude, that is... Uh... If somebody stole it from me, what comic in my collection would I be most upset about? Honestly, this... So, <laughs> the answer to this, it's it's not really so much of a, uh, a... My answer really isn't based on sentiment or really even how much I like the actual book it's my answer is pretty practical it's just a matter of the most expensive thing in your collection it's not even the most expensive it'd be the one that i'd have the hardest time replacing i think yeah Um, so like i'm looking at my library right now i'm sitting here and well three books came up to me uh well do you want me to cheat or do you want me to just give one no you can share all three Okay, uh, the first one that came to mind was Zot by Scott McCloud, the hardcover. Hmm. Um, so this is an interesting one, and I'm, I'm going to try not to uh, bloviate too much, you know, because uh, we got so much to talk about. But um, I remember one day you were in, uh, in the Castro, and you stopped by Aardvark Books, and you were like, you were messaging me about what, what you were seeing in their comic book bins and whatever. And you mm-hmm. were telling me on your way out, you were like, dude, I think I just saw a hardcover version of uh, the complete Zot Omnibus, the collection of all of Zot. Up to this point, uh, I think a couple of years prior to that, they had just released the paperback version. But I never, yeah. none of us had ever seen like a hard copy version. So I was like, dude, I love Zot. And when I heard that, I came down that very same day, and I bought it right then and there. Just because, that's right. That's right. Uh, you know, even now, I'm pretty sure they won't. I I don't even know where you would find a hardcover version of Zot, um, by Scott McCloud. 
was that something that was uh just out of print or is that unique like uh something that that they only made a few of i think it's something that they only made a few of because i remember when uh you looked on the inside you were uh we were on the phone when you found it and you looked on the inside well no actually were, were we on the phone you might have told me about it after the fact, uh, over text or something, but I forget. But essentially, you said you looked inside, and it has one of those pages where it says where it gives a certain number out of, you know, out of how many uh, versions of this book were produced. Yeah. So yeah, like I, I it's too far for me to reach right now. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, it it was something like you know number three hundred out of a thousand. Oh yeah. Okay. You know. Yeah, that's rare. That's special then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, like I, I didn't even know that they had made a hardcover of it, and on top of that, to for it to be in just such limited run, that was a big deal for me, and it was something that I, I have a lot of love for. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense, man. That's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be pissed if somebody stole that. Totally. Um, the other one, and this might be a little less obvious, but, uh, I'm looking at my Angel and Faith hardcovers and, uh, my library editions of that, and I only have the first two volumes, and I know volume three was, is super hard to come by, uh, part of the reason being that, uh, Dark Horse recently lost their license to Angel and Faith and really all of the Buffy characters, Yeah. so... Uh, so I never got that third volume because I always, I always see these cheap, uh, these Angel and Fates every year. So I always thought that I would be able to find it on, on TFAW, uh, during a Black Friday sale, but they never put it out cheap. And now that they've lost a license, when I look online for, uh, if I was to try to replace either of those two volumes, I think the... The first volume is a lot easier to come by, but that second volume is already shot up in price. Uh, it's something that I'd have a hard time trying to replace because I know even when I look in stores for that third volume, yeah, like it's just hard to come by. So that would annoy me substantially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because um, who is it? Is it uh, Boom that has the license now? Boom has the license. Yeah. 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 I wonder if they have reprinted those stories. Well, the thing is, I I saw uh, on, I want to say in stock, but uh, so the Angel and Faith series continued after, the, the volumes that I have were written by Christos Gage, and then after Christos Gage it was uh, Victor Gishler, and then after Victor Gishler it was Becky Clunan. And I actually did see that there's a library edition from Boom that collects uh, Becky Clunan's stuff. So uh, there might be a day where that third volume gets reprinted as a library edition from Boom. Nice, man. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's still hope for you. Like, yeah, do yeah. you? What if it's uh, got a different trade dress, like different? Like the book is printed on different dimensions and has different design. Like, would that bug you, or would you still pick it up just because you could get the story? I think I'd pick it up just to get the story. It would. It would probably arc me deep, deep down inside. 
but <laughs> yeah, but ultimately, I'm a pragmatist, and I'll do like if it means that. That's how it's I better have than to... paying like a hundred something bucks for an out of yeah. print book. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. And I'd I'd rather do that than uh, buy the digital version of that last volume. That that's, I mean, even though I would have it to read, that's the last resort. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you, Drew? Wait, that that was only uh two books. Oh, I guess well, if you count both volumes, that's three then, huh? Well, is that what you uh, meant? No, I had one more, but uh oh well okay, I'll mention it. Uh my absolute swamp thing. Uh just because those It's expensive. Came, well, again, it's not even about how expensive it is, it's just it's hard to come by. That those uh they made those absolute swamp things last year and then they sold out super quick and um uh, Fortunately for me, I, I didn't get it the first time around, but you, when you ordered yours and uh, I was over at your place and I was, you know, looking at the, the hardcover, the absolute hardcover edition that came out, I was like, this is too good to not get. So at this point I had already had the uh, deluxe hardcover versions of Swamp Thing, but I wanted to upgrade because... Yeah. Like, the paper was nicer, they recolored it, it was just gorgeous. And, uh, like, even right now, I don't think, I, I think it's already out of print. Uh, I think they might be putting it back out, but I'm not 100% sure. That might just be an error on in-stock trades. Yeah, I I heard that they're doing, yeah, based on the the sh- upcoming uh, shipments list on in-stock trades, they did mention... It, one of the things on the list is another printing of Absolute Swamp Thing Volume 1. Yeah. So if that's accurate, I imagine that they are making another printing. So yeah. um, at They'll least prob- people who missed it last year can, can buy it. Yeah, yeah. Because Volume 2 is supposed to come out sometime very soon as well. Uh, I think it's coming out next week, actually. At oh. least that's what Instox okay. says. On the- oh, wait, not next week. October 21st, I think is what it said. Okay, yeah. sometime this month. Yeah, so towards the end of the month. Yeah. But, nice, um, nice. Yeah, yeah. those those were the ones that jumped most, uh, that jumped to my mind. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what I got. What about you? Yeah, this was a hard one for me to answer. Uh, and, and actually, I didn't think of my answer until uh, you started talking a few minutes ago. Oh, but for nice. me, <laughs> yeah, like I think at first I was thinking, do I, do I just go with the books that are the most expensive or, or what's really hard to come by? Like I was trying to think in my mind what was difficult to come by. And I, I know I have some books that are out of print, um, some hardcovers that – Nowadays, maybe you can only find them in paperback or something. Uh, but I think ultimately what I what shot up to the forefront of my mind was my hardcover copy of Summer Blonde by Adrian Tomina. Oh, okay. Because that's a book that I actually got signed and he drew a sketch oh, for nice. me. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So that... I think losing something like that would would bug me because number one, 
it's a nice hardcover book. I'm pretty sure the hardcover is out of print. Yeah. Um, I mean, the book itself, you can still get a paperback version pretty easily. Yeah. But I, but I think not the same. <laughs> yeah, because I think mine is one of those first edition hardcovers. Um, and it's, yeah, like he's, it's just got a really good look to it. And I love all of his work. I just read his most recent book, uh, The Long Distance, uh, the, the, the Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist. Shoot, is that the name? I'm probably I might be flubbing it uh, on the spot here, so I apologize for that. But his his newest book, man, it's some good stuff. <clears throat> so I actually was flipping through all my older Adrian Tomina books a couple weeks ago, uh-huh. and I just came across that hardcover and looked at the sketch that he drew for me and, and he signed it for me. Nice. So yeah, I think something like that that. I would not want to lose something like that, you know. Like it, it's not really worth anything, probably in yeah. in like a from a, a collector's standpoint. Yeah. But it's just it's worth something to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Think- that's that's the thing that would irk me to lose because I I still remember that day, man, that I yeah. I saw him and and got the book signed. It was I was still in college at at uh, UC Davis, and uh, our buddy Justin Chuan. He and I uh, drove to San Francisco uh, just for one day to go to the to the Alternative Press Expo, <laughs> you know the the ApeCon. Yeah. The one day I think it was like two maybe Saturday and Sunday, but we just went on the Saturday and we we drove um, back to the city, went to the con, got the book signed, um, met him briefly and. Yeah, like that that was definitely like even after all these years later, that's something I still remember pretty pretty clearly in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um I really like his work and wish people would check him out. Yeah. I mean, in independent circles, I feel like he's a fairly big name. Um, yeah, yeah. He's he's a guy that did a lot of work for The New Yorker and a lot of his own comics, pretty much all of his comics that he's done get a lot of acclaim. He's yeah. got so Summer Blonde is a one of his short story collections. Uh, he his his comic book series for those of you who aren't familiar with Adrian Tomine, uh his his comic book series is called Optic Nerve. It's his own uh, series uh, published by Drawn and Quarterly. Uh, just a lot of he I, I guess he doesn't really have a specific genre I would pin him to. It's, I would just say he just writes fiction. Like, uh, like literary fiction, you know, um, from different uh, points of view. Um, just a lot of stuff about the human condition and what it's like to, to grow up um, either as a teenager. Uh, he examines, he does a lot of stories that examine teenage life as well as the life of people in their 20s and, and just working singles and and younger people but he yeah he's he's also done like uh like memoir type books like he did one about his his wedding uh he and his most recent book uh the loneliness of the long distance cartoonist that one is a an autobiographical book about just his experiences uh as a cartoonist and and the the weird neurotic tics that he's developed in insecurities he's had um over the course of his 
not just his career, but I guess his life as a comic book creator and a comic book fan. It's also a pretty funny examination of how people react to people who like comics. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it works even if you're not a cartoonist. Like it's it's a lot of stuff that will appeal to to anybody who can relate to real life. Right. Yeah, I've seen a. I remember it's been a while since I've read any of his comics, but they're they're interesting. Ob- yeah, they're they're interesting observations, but they're also kind of funny. <laughs> from what I yeah. remember. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yep. Do you have anything else, or is that just? Are you sticking to the the rule of just one? Uh, I don't know if it's about sticking to the rule, but that's that's the main thing that comes okay. to mind. I'm, I'm sure if I went downstairs and and looked at my bookshelves and or even opened up my long boxes or something, you know, yeah, I'd yeah, yeah, probably find something that would be hard for me to to part with, or you know, would make me mad if somebody yeah. jacked it. Um, but def- yeah, that summer yeah. my copy of Summer Blonde is the one that came to mind immediately. I definitely think there are things that I'd be able to replace fairly easily. And you know, it would suck to have someone steal anything from me. But I I'd probably be less mad if it's something that I could just go out and buy again. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, it, yeah, I think it's interesting. It's it's kind of telling of our personalities that you chose something that was sentimental, whereas I just chose the thing that would inconvenience me the most. <laughs> <laughs> well, when That's you a... boil it down like that, I guess you've uh, you've analyzed our you've analyzed this man. You've uh, yeah. broken us down into our yeah. component bits. How does it feel to be? How does it feel to be deconstructed? deconstructed? Exactly. <laughs> How does it feel to watch dreams die? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on to the main event here. Uh, one of the things that we're going to cover in terms of our fantasy ideas, basically three things tonight. Uh, for, first of all. We're going to talk about the uh, the upcoming, well, upco- I, say it up, I say upcoming like it's coming out soon, but it's probably going to be like, what, uh, another couple years. Yeah. We, we want to talk about uh, the Spider-Man 3 movie. I don't even know if it has an official name, but the Tom Holland MCU Spider-Man, there was a little bit of news on that uh, this week. Yeah. And yeah, I thought we'd give our take on that first, and then we'll dive into the official Between the Gutters X-Men event. So it's just, the concept is, if Albert and I were doing an X-Men event, this is what it would be. Right, right. And then, uh, yeah, and then assuming we have enough time left over, one more, one more surprise after that. One more that. topic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, this episode is, is essentially a, a grab bag, but it's it's a fun grab bag. Um, you know, we uh, we kind of joke around about fanboys, but there are things that we like to geek out about ourselves. You know, I mean, we we have our love of comics, so we're not. I don't think we're stuck up all the time. 
It's just that when people deserve to be ridiculed, we'll ridicule them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't argue with that. <laughs> so earlier this week, there was some news that uh, they announced that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch would be reprising his role as Doctor Strange for the Spider-Man sequel mm-hmm. or the Far From Home sequel. Yeah. So I don't think that was anything too shocking. Um, I mean, I, I don't think we knew for sure that Doctor Strange was going to be in it or anyone was going to be in it. But, yeah. you know, it's nothing that's super shocking. It's kind of cool to, to hear that, well, you know, what to expect. Well, I'm going to interject real quick. I will uh-huh. say that, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you were probably going to touch on this in a second, but... Um, uh, the 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 revelation was that Doctor Strange is going to reprise his role for the next Spider-Man film, but he's also going to step in as a mentor role, kind of taking over the Tony Stark role, supposedly to- taking over the Tony Stark role for Peter Parker, uh, you know, in the absence of Tony Stark. And I will say that was something that I... It, it wasn't like the kind of surprise where I was like, you know, blown out of my seat or anything like that, but it was like, it was definitely something that made me crook my eyebrow and go, huh, okay, interesting, interesting decision. I didn't see that coming. I wasn't thinking about that, but okay. Well, is that just speculation or is that something that they announced? Oh, I'm just basing it off that article that you sent me, so I don't even know if yeah, that that's yeah. So that might be just speculative. So, well, okay, we're still in very very early stages of this movie. So all we know is that they he's going to be in it. He's going to be in it. So yeah, we're we're not even sure if that's the role that he's going to play. Well, I'm pretty sure he's going to be Doctor Strange. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know okay. if he's going to be. I don't know if he's going to be. Peter's uh, mentor figure or anything like that. <laughs> they hired Benedict Cumberbatch to be in the next start uh, Spider-Man film, but he's going to be reprising his role as Khan from Into Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a heck of a twist. That would be... I'd just be like, I need to see how this plays out now. <laughs> I would definitely watch that movie. I mean, I was always going to watch that movie. That would make me watch that movie even harder. If that was, <laughs> if that was the twist revelation where it's like he's not Doctor Strange, he's Khan from Into Darkness, I'd be like, "Huh. Okay, you got my money." <laughs> <laughs> the other bit of news, and I I don't think this was this past week, but it might have been a, a few weeks ago, but I I believe they said that Jamie Foxx would be playing Electro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, one of the things that, and this might be speculation as well, uh, but we got to take a couple of things into context. One, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was something that made a lot of money, and I think it ended up opening a lot of doors over at Sony. So that's mm-hmm. one thing. Two, Doctor Strange is a character who you know after watching infinity war and uh 
Endgame, uh, a big part of his role in in the Marvel universe was uh, rolling out the multiverse. So that's that isn't to say that that's necessarily something that's going to be in this movie, but that's something to you know kind of put a pin in to think about. And three, the fact that they're getting Jamie Foxx to reprise his role as Electro, uh, even though he was an Electro in one of the previous iterations of a Spider-Man film. See, this is where we get really fanboyish, or where I'm getting really fanboyish. But if you take those three different uh, bits of context, or uh, three bits of information into context, it... I think there's a way to look at it where this next film could open up a door for a Spider-Man version, a, a live-action Spider-Man version of the Spider-Verse, or a live-action version of the Spider-Verse. And the fourth, yeah. there was a fourth point that I also wanted to mention, which was uh, at the end of Spider-Man uh, Far From Home, you see that J. Jonah Jameson has is casted as a uh, what's his name? I forget. J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons, who was J. Jonah Jameson in the original Spider-Man films? In the Tobey Maguire ones. In the Tobey Maguire ones. So again, like this isn't to say that these are facts or anything that are written in stone, but. In terms of pure speculation, there's a way to look at this and see that there's some sort of potential groundwork being laid for a multiversal story. Yeah, and I, f- I feel like a lot of people generally probably want to see that happen because Into the Spider Verse was see a that great film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too, that too. Yeah. Fanboys love that sort of thing, uh, you know, where continuity all just kind of, they were rewarded by that level of continuity. <laughs> no. I mean, I, I I really did like Jamie Foxx as Electro in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. I'll, I'll even go so far as to say I have love for The Amazing Spider-Man 2, even though too. not a I lot of people you, did. Yeah, yeah, I think me and you have love for Amazing Spider-Man 2 and... It gets hate, but which is unfortunate. Yeah, know. but it's the masses, dude. What you gonna do about it? Yeah, they plebeians. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, them is the same masses that basically demanded and led to the Snyder cut of Justice League. So yeah. they demanded I don't really... it, and yeah. they got it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if if I remember uh, Amazing Spider-Man two. Didn't that come out sometime around the same time as uh, Man of Steel? Did it? I I, for, I, I forget what been... year Man of Steel came out. Yeah, but the, this oh, I think Man of Steel was like the year before. But it kind of feels like the people that didn't like Spider Man Two, Amazing Spider Man Two, were the people that really liked Man of Steel. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Cause I remember, I remember conversations about how people were saying, "Yeah, Man of Steel was awesome, and it makes sense because Spider-Man has to kill Zod. Cause what else can you do in order to win 
Um, right, right, right. When you're in an impossible situation, he has to kill him. Yeah. And yeah, even though all those people died, there was nothing he could do about it. Yeah. But then I remember watching Amazing Spider-Man 2, and then that scene where uh, Electro and Spider-Man are fighting in public. Spider-Man's saving everybody, dude. Yeah, he's saving everybody. <laughs> Electro's destroying the city, and Spider-Man's saving everybody. Yeah, and he even talks Electro down, you know? He uses the heart, he uses the heart of the spider to, you know, calm Electro down in that moment. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and then yeah i mean i guess i guess if we were to really derail this conversation we could go dive into the amazing spider-man movies and talk about what we appreciate about them but that's not really the point of this the point of this is just to say that i definitely enjoyed and appreciate jamie fox as electro i'm yeah looking forward to seeing him reprise that role yeah here's the here's the thing though i don't know if i would hope that it's the exact same version of that character, you know? Like, I'm, I don't want them to be like, oh, this is the Electro from this other universe, and now he's all of a sudden, uh, you know, he traversed through the multiverse, and now he's in MCU. I don't MCU. think he is, because they said that he'd have a different design, so... I mean, I mean that, that might not necessarily mean anything, but... Yeah. 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 And I, I don't necessarily think it's necessary for them to like give him a brand new uh a brand new origin story or anything like i don't really need an entire movie centered around him um, unless they really want to somehow but yeah like it it would just be enough for me to to see him in there um playing electro i think i would just prefer that it not be a thing where this is Electro from the Sony-verse, or yeah, whatever you call yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess we, me and you, well, okay, I'm not going to speak for you, but I, I guess I have a complicated relationship with the, with the multiverse mm-hmm. idea, if only because, like, when, when they announced Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, there was a part of me that thought that the idea of multiple Spider-Mans was... It, it's not something that appealed to me. I, like, I, I know I read comics, and I know that that's a thing that potentially happens in comics where you have multiverses. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I'm not... I, I, I don't feel any rush of excitement at the thought of Here's Cowboy Spider-Man. Oh, check it out. Here's here's Spider-Man if he was a radical 90s skateboarder. <laughs> you know, like it it's kind of like you remember Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when we were kids and they would have like all those different versions of the turtles that were other yeah. than the main like Ninja Turtles. They they, have... kept, they kept making these toys where they had they had like uh Samurai armor, Ninja Turtles. They had a. There was a surfer, uh, Michelangelo, that had a pizza cannon. I remember I had a Raphael that had a spacesuit. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I'm pretty sure, even as a kid, I thought that stuff was pretty stupid. Like I wasn't. I was not. <laughs> you were a sophisticated dr- kid, man. I just bought it because it was Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> I think as a kid, I just wanted the Ninja Turtles as I saw them on TV. I didn't need the all the extra stuff. I mean, I I wanted the truck. I wanted the turtle truck. 
The party van? The party van, yeah. Or the turtle wagon? Yeah. Well, okay, I'm going to I'm going to interject one more thing not to not to blow this up too much uh, cuz we've already gone on this for um so we had a conversation about like last week I think I had just finished watching Voltron Legendary Defender on Netflix. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember uh there were a bunch of YouTube videos that were talking about how basically there were people that thought that the 8th season just ruined the show and I remember I was I, I I saved watching the YouTube videos until I was done with the show, so that I could you know form my own opinion before I like allowed them to taint that. And I watched one of the videos, and one of the things that uh, this guy was saying in the video was um, he was talking about how at towards the end of Ultron, um, you know, if you intend to watch it, sorry, this is spoilers, but I'm gonna count to three: one, two, three. Okay, but at, towards the end of Voltron, um, there's a there's a multiversal threat. So alternate, so realities are being destroyed. Alternate dimensions are being destroyed. And one of the things that this guy was complaining about was he goes, so they introduced a multiverse, but you never get to see the alternate reality versions of the Voltron crew. And he just thought that was such a waste he was he was livid <laughs> about it and i could not hate him more <laughs> like i could not find i had to dig down deep inside of myself to find new levels of hate <laughs> just new just new fertile grounds of contempt for this this person <laughs> it's a pretty ridiculous thing to be upset about yeah it's it's a it's a stupid gripe but yeah. Anyways, that that was my two cents on on. Um, so okay, uh, just to round it out, back to Spider Man and you know all this Spider Man news. So, um, I will say that I loved Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. So I'm not going to like poo poo this because there's I I love the first two Spider Man movies, and if they find a way to make a you know tie the Spider Verse into it so that uh it's something that i can enjoy then i'm not gonna hate them for it and i'll even have an open mind about it so that's 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 that yeah and the other thing about bringing dr strange into this is that the second dr strange movie i believe is titled uh Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. So if we were to take that title uh, literally, then there is some kind of multiverse out there. So bringing Doctor Strange into the Spider-Man film, there is some, maybe there is a possibility of introducing the multiverse into Spider-Man's story. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think it's a concept that sounds, it sounds good with, Doctor Strange for his movie. Yeah. I don't know if it's something that I want to see in a yeah. Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Especially since, like you said, you know, Into the Spider-Verse is already, that's already out there, you know, like that's already a great film. I'm not really sure if I want to see a live action retread of that concept. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah. It, 
so if you guys listened to our podcast, uh, what was it last week? The the one on Spider Man events. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. So if you listened to our podcast last week, the one on uh, Spider Man events, one of the things that we mentioned towards the end is. Um, we found it hard to find Spider-Man events because most Spider-Man events tend to up the stakes because uh, that's the nature of events. But they tend to fall flat most of the times. And the events that worked for us personally the best were the ones where the drama and the personal tension was probably the strongest. Um, so... So I think this is kind of the same thing for me. Like when I hear that this third Spider-Man film is going to introduce all of these elements and it looks like they're kind of going in the direction of, you know, a multiverse, a Spider-Verse or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the back of my mind, there's a part of me that dreads that it's going to move away from what made the first two movies so good and uh and it's just gonna kind of focus on the spectacle of it so i'm dubious as to whether it's gonna be whether it's gonna maintain the things about spider-man the first two movies that made you know them so good yeah yeah i mean i'll say that I have enough, I guess, confidence or, I don't know, confidence or trust that I'll probably still enjoy Spider-Man 3 regardless. Mm. Uh, But uh, I guess what I can also say is that the idea of the Spider-Verse or the multiverse, if we had our way, that probably wouldn't be the way we would choose yeah 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 <laughs> yeah but yeah let, let's talk about what we would have done if we had the chance because i actually this is really more your idea because when we were talking about this offline earlier this week um i thought you had a great idea for spider-man 3 that instantly appealed to me yeah man sure um so uh yeah it it was kind of i guess the build-up happened from just several conversations we had including the conversation about um craven's last hunt or fearful symmetry that we did uh last week in the spider-man events episode and at this point, you guys are probably like, man, these guys are really all up on Craven, uh, Craven's <laughs> Last Hunt's balls. Well, it's that good, okay? So, so um, I think, I, I forget, I, I want to say that I saw a tweet from uh, J.M. DeMatteis where he was talking about how uh, he was watching The Boys and he was looking at Carl Urban and one of the things that he said was, hey... Carl Urban would make an amazing live-action version of Craven. Yep. Yeah, and that was, you know, that was like a fun little conversation that we had, you know, just kind of a two-minute conversation. And then 
uh, I don't know where I got it in my head that, but I think I remember hearing that Craven might be the villain for the next movie. Uh, and again, this might this might have been just something from the internet, just like a like a brain fart from all of the you know fans and the fanboys speculating. But um, you know, I'd mentioned it to you, and you, uh, I don't think you. Yeah, there, there wasn't anything to prove that that was the case. Um, another conversation we ended up having uh, at some point. I was so I'm uh, I was reading some old uh, Spider-Man comics, and I came across the Ring Ringleader, Ring Ringmaster, the and Ringmaster, the, and the Circus of Crime, and the Circus of Crime, and it it got me on this. I I fell down this thought rabbit hole of like would a circus based villain like exist today like is that something that people would would be able to look at and be like oh yeah that's relevant that makes sense you know even though real circuses are non-existent essentially (laughs) yeah but uh from that conversation uh you you had mentioned that uh Big game hunters, the idea of Craven and like someone who's a big game hunter as, you know, as someone that would be relevant or someone that would capture the imagination and intention of the people, uh, you were like, oh, is that, that's equally as irrelevant as, uh, something outmoded. Yeah, exactly. You know, it'd be like, having a supervillain who was whose entire theme was, you know, like Y2K. Y2K or exactly, <laughs> you know. He's going to infect your computer with the Y2K virus, yeah, guys. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, remember that fear kids? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You don't. <laughs> if he was a Y2K themed Y2K named villain, people would just be like, I don't I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, a villain that was based on, like, uh, rotary phones or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, people would just be like, what's that? Remember uh, the villain Typeface? Yeah, I do. His whole stick, his whole gimmick was um, typewriter-based. I, I thought his gimmick was, like, his face or, like, his his entire body just showed random letters or something, right? No? I guess it was typewriter based. Um, yeah, that, that's just what I call it. I guess I guess you could just update him to make it just random letters. Well, okay. Here's another example. Like, what if there was a villain who was based on CD players? Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's like, I have, I'm gonna use my CD drive to like control everything. You know, like to infect these computers. Kind of makes me think of Transformers and the characters Soundwave or Blaster. You know, they transform into tape decks. Yeah. They're... Well, I do have a lot of love for Soundwave just because as a kid I thought he was super cool. But kids today would be like, so he's like a Bose? So (laughs) I don't get it. (laughs) But... Yeah. Anyways, so um, so Craven's been on my mind a lot this past couple of weeks, and uh, so we were talking about the next Spider-Man movie, and this news came out, and uh, I was I was thinking about everything that had 
already been established. So uh, at the end of Far From Home, as I mentioned earlier, J.K. Simmons is revealed uh is he's in the after credit scene or the mid after credit scene i don't know what the term for that is but mid credit uh, scene yeah mid credit scene and uh what he ends up doing is he reveals to the world that he's he's basically this uh like shock uh, he's like Alex Jones in Infowars yeah he's like Alex Jones he's a personality for uh alternative media let's call it and what he ends up doing is he ends up revealing to the world that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. So, so it establishes that for the next film, the status quo is going to be that Peter Parker's life is going to be upturned. We don't know exactly how, but you know, it's a big thing because his secret identity is essentially revealed to the world. So we were sitting around and you asked me, well, we all assume that, that news is going to come out and it's going to, well, it's clearly going to affect Peter Parker's life, but we, we all assume that people are going to hate him and hound him and heckle him. Or but track you, down his family and murder the Aunt May. Exactly. Um, but you, you came, you, you posited a question to me and you said, well, what if, uh, what if it's not that? What if the expectation is that in fact, everybody ends up loving him yeah, I was uh, saying like, what if what if instead of becoming a target for people, he actually ends up becoming a folk hero, like yeah. the people of the city, New York City. You know, they they know that he was he was fighting side by side with Iron Man against Thanos uh, in the great battles and all that. Yeah. Um, and so now they that they know him. who he is, they know he's he's just a kid. He you know he he died from the snap, and he still came back to help fight against Thanos and his army. Yeah, and he's been through all this and all through that. So in, instead of instead of uh, reviling him, what if he becomes a folk hero? And and yeah, people know who he is, but when they see him on the street, they're just like, you know, they they just want to shake his hand or get yeah, an autograph yeah. or something. Totally, totally. And um, I was like, yeah, that could work. Uh, but then you know, uh, I was thinking about it in the context of how everything kind of is now in our world (laughs) awful yeah yeah well well, i i think it's pretty clear that you know we we're as a species we're dependent on the internet but uh and and there's a lot of things that we do love about it but as usual as with most most things the worst elements of the internet or of the world or of life can just ruin uh the better aspects of it as we've clearly seen. Mm -hmm. So if we take that and uh, overlay that over, you know, Spider-Man's life, uh, what I was saying was, well, what would have to happen because every story needs conflict is everybody would have to revere him, but it would have there. You would have to have this one person. There clearly have to be that one person who takes it too far and, you know, has to, basically ruin it for everybody because he's (laughs) an idiot that doesn't have any sense there because they are an idiot that doesn't have any sense of uh you know relativity right Mm -hmm. um so even though everybody else loves him uh there's as much incentive to gin up hate and uh revulsion as there is to get love right because you know People can't be 
universally beloved because there's someone out there who gets something from being the one guy that hates him, essentially. Yeah. So yep. I was thinking about that, and I go, well, that actually works with Craven the Hunter if he was, in fact, the the next villain of the of the third Spider-Man movie because what you could he doesn't with with the fact that Peter's uh, identity has been revealed to the world um, you know again everybody loves him but you can introduce Craven as the one guy who's just so obsessed with Spider-Man that it's it he takes it to a dangerous level and this is where we can kind of work in the themes uh, that we were discussing from Craven's Last Hunt and from Fearful Symmetry, which is, so my idea was instead of having him be a big game hunter, like, you know, like the crocodile hunter or something, where like, because <laughs> if, if you guys don't know who Craven is, the way he looks is he's like this dude who has like a lion's mane uh, wrapped around his neck and he's got a belt made of teeth and he's, you know... He's just this really like loud looking character. He's this guy with a Bowie knife and um, you know, like Crocodile Dundee or something like that. That is like an outdated reference. So I don't even know if you guys know who I'm talking about, (laughs) but, but uh, so in, in the version that I was thinking about, I was, I was thinking that he, instead of being a hunter, he would be more like a stalker in the sense that he'd be stalking Peter Parker and uh, the way a that celebrity we, stalker, a celebrity stalker, exactly. And the way that we would introduce some of the elements from Fearful Symmetry is he could be someone who is just so obsessed with uh, the celebrity of Spider-Man and uh, everybody's love of Spider-Man that he wants to be Spider-Man. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's what would happen at some point if if again. Uh, if they were really ballsy, if they did this story, they, it'd be a story where relatively early in the story, Craven the Hunter would, or Craven the Stalker, Craven the Stalker <laughs> would get Peter Parker and bury him alive early on, and then a significant chunk of the story would be, you know, him as Spider-Man while Peter Parker is buried alive. But uh, I was telling Drew, like, I, I have a feeling that if they did do that, that'd be, you know, kind of the middle act at, for about, like, 15 minutes or something like that. But, you know, but in this yeah. universe, we're writing this story, and that, that would essentially be my uh, Spider-Man 3 proposal. Uh, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I like it, man. When you, when you explain it like that to me, I was like, yeah, I'm on board with that. Because all, all I really had was the idea of flipping the script on the idea of Spider-Man being outed. So, like, my my idea was just that instead of being hounded at every turn, somehow it wouldn't be as bad as we thought. And it would almost be like, unlike the typical Parker Luck, something that he thought was going to ruin his life didn't really harm it too bad. And in some ways even made his life easier because now he's people you know respect him and and love him and whatnot yeah but yeah you adding that twist with with craven in there that that is the necessary ingredient to inject the much needed uh conflict conflict. into the story and it's a great reimagining of 
the idea and the concept of, of Craven, it it's fun too. Like it, it's yeah. it's something that uh, I mean, I, I think it would still be a serious story with with plenty of pathos. But it, there's also something kind of silly about that, you know, because it's it's almost like too real. Because we we yeah. do live in a world where um, famous people, celebrities uh, are scrutinized at every turn. You know, people. Yeah paparazzi or tmz or whatever it is uh people taking photos of these celebrities during their everyday activities so everybody can know what they're yeah. eating for lunch or what they're who they're dating or uh where they're going on vacation yeah stuff that's and, crazy intrusive of people's privacy and i don't even know why people are interested in knowing stuff like that exactly and not only that but then these celebrities themselves you know they have their own social media accounts they're putting themselves out there for the world too yeah but there's every so often you you read a story about some crazy stalker person who takes it too far and you know somehow their obsession with this celebrity crosses the line they're either just being really a big nuisance or maybe even doing something harmful or potentially uh dangerous yeah I, I did it did occur to me that there's a way to do this story where I, I think when you said it was a serious story, I think that's that's the right tone to hit because there's a way that it ends up being a really dark story because it's about a guy who buries Peter Parker alive. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it, it would have to take someone with the right, like, directorial eye it because it'd be really stark to go from the first two movies that i'd say are pretty lighthearted. i mean there's definitely moments of drama and it's they're not goofy or anything but it's it's definitely a lighter tone yeah going to something as serious as that so it would take someone who has a really like good ability to transition between moods i think yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, what would you title your Spider-Man 3, Albert? Whew. Oh, this is... Uh, it's got to have the word home in it, right? Yeah, it's it's got to. Uh, home fries. <laughs> 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 Spider-Man 3, home fries. <laughs> I don't know what that means symbolically, but now I want to go to a diner. <laughs> you don't remember that period in time when people were calling, what's up, home fry? I do not. <laughs> I do not remember. You, you talking about dated references? That's pretty dated, man. That, is, that was dated. That was super dated. Uh, was, was that from the time when people were playing Pogs? Maybe. Like, there was Home Fry, and then there was people calling people Home Slice. What's up, Home Slice? I remember Home Slice. Yeah. yeah home Slice was definitely uh, the Pog era. Yeah. Okay, we'll call it Home Slice. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Spider-Man, home slice. <laughs> For anybody who's like under under 35, 34, like they'd just be like, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> the other title I was thinking of was Homeward Bound because it's going to be about Peter trying to break out of the grave to get back home to Mary Jane yeah. or MJ. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I saw some like uh, YouTube videos of people doing like fan uh, trailers for the third film, and I, I this isn't a comment on what I thought of those videos or what or even what I thought of the name, but someone put up the name Homesick. Hmm. Okay, that works. Yeah. That works. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what 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 it's about, but okay. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. Got to think about how it ties into the story thematically. Yeah. Yep. Cool, man. That was a fun journey into our fantasy Spider-Man movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well, I I will add one one other thing. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, like I did mention earlier that um It feels like the direction of Sony is that they want to go bigger and, you know, expand into, like, alternate dimensions. And, you know, this is, again, just pure speculation. So I, I if, if they don't do that, um, yeah, if they don't do that, that'd be interesting. I, I, I don't know why they put all these elements out, but, uh, yeah. Uh, but it... This that Spider-Man movie idea would definitely be something much much. The emotional depth would be there, but it'd be much much smaller in terms of the threat, right? Because mm-hmm. Craven wouldn't even be like a sci-fi villain; he'd just be a nut who's just after Spider-Man. Yeah, you but know? sometimes that kind of villain, that kind of antagonist, is. If done right, that could be more horrifying than anybody that shoots energy blasts out of their fists, you know? Oh, yeah. I think that... I, I actually think that kind of villain is substantially more menacing. Yeah, there's something psychologically yeah. unsettling about somebody who's just that unhinged. Because yeah. not only um, is it creepy for the character in the film but or in the story... But I think there's also something creepy about seeing that something, you know, realistic like that. Like for me, like yeah. the, when I think of horror movies, I tend to think of like or when I when I think of horror stories that genuinely uh, strike me, it's usually not stuff with monsters or or zombies or or uh, vampires or things like that. It's usually stuff about serial killers. Yeah. Serial killers <laughs> are real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like- exactly. A dream monster, like, although conceptually it may be, you know, frightening, like, at the end of the day, it's not going to do anything to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could show me a picture of Cthulhu stuff, but yeah. at the end of the day, like you said, there's a, I'm, I'm more afraid of being killed by an axe murderer, you know? Yeah. I don't want someone to wear my skin as a mask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't want someone to to murder Albert, cut off his skin, wear his face as a mask, and then come after me. That would that would terrify me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'd say so. I'd say so. All right, are we ready to talk about the official between the gutters unofficial X Men event? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Let's go for it. All right, so if we had carte blanche to take over and revamp the X-Men with a 
with a big line-wide shaking event. Our basic concept, it's funny because we were just talking about how we didn't want to see the multiverse in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so ironically, ironically, as much as we don't want to see it in Spider-Man 3, that's kind of the central concept of our X-Men event is the multiverse. <laughs> our, our main concept is that wow, there's going to be... hypocrites. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, it just shows that we're people, man. We're complex. Yeah. <laughs> there's many sides to every issue, dude. You just got to think through it. We're many things. We're many exactly. things. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all can't define us. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm not gonna go into what the rest of the quote was, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a father. I'm a I'm a hellraiser. I'm a so-so father. <laughs> if you guys have no idea what we're talking about, just look up Mike Tyson's crazy quotes on YouTube. <laughs> so, so our X Men event is gonna be centered around a multiversal collapse, and only. The only characters that can fix this multiversal collapse is a group of time and or reality displaced X-Men characters who somehow ended up in the 616 uh, main Marvel Universe. Essentially, yeah. the, the main, the main uh, team of the event or the main book of the event would be an Exiles comic. So for the Exiles, for those of you who don't remember, uh, they're essentially alternate universe versions of different characters that are forced to team up uh, to patch up different uh, problems in the various universes. Yeah, they're um, the main uh, conceit of the team was essentially that uh, you had a grand master or an architect of some sort who collected different versions of X characters from across the multiverse and set them together and decided that they needed this team of individuals with their individual talents, whatever they may be. And uh, there's some sort of mysterious reason as to why these characters were chosen, but ultimately they were chosen to with the one task of hopping from one dimension to another dimension correcting things so that uh they preserve the uh stability of the mm-hmm. multiverse mm-hmm. yeah and that that's the starting point of our x event idea I forget, did we come up with a name for our event? Uh, I don't think we did. This was a conversation that we had over dinner after a day of buying comics, I believe. <laughs> yeah, this was probably like a year ago or something. Yeah, so it was just something something that we were just doing just for fun. A, a brain exercise. Yeah, yeah, brain exercise, exactly. Yeah. So we did, I I I don't think we thought so far as to come up with a name for it. Well, maybe we'll have one by the end of this episode. Home slice. <laughs> X Men. Home slice. 
So what can you tell us, Albert, or what can you tell our listeners about the main plot or the main through line of our X-Men event? So I do think this was a case where at the time of our talking of it, we were we we had established a lot of different ideas that we wanted to play with and we were pretty excited about all of them. So there's there's a lot of different things that are going on. Um, but I guess we'll start off with the main team. The, I mean, with any good uh, event story, for any writer, not that we're writers, but, you know, uh, for the purposes of this exercise with writers, uh, one of the main things that you can do if you get to work for either of the big two uh, comic publishers is you get to, you know, choose which toys you want to play with in the toy box, right? So which characters do you want, you know, if this is your only chance to work with any character that you want from the, from the X portion of the Marvel universe, who would you pick? So um, our primary team was going to be made up of Cable uh, Nate Gray, uh, also known as X-Man, Rachel Gray Summers, also known as, uh, Phoenix, uh, she is the, well, okay, let me go back one, so Nate Gray is actually a version of Cable as well, but from a, dim- a dimension, or from a version of Earth called the Age of Apocalypse, it's a version of Earth where, uh, Apocalypse is, you know, taken taken over the world and turned it into a dystopia and he is this genetically perfect being in their world uh that was bred in a lab uh, and made from the genetic material of again cyclops and uh cyclops scott summer and gene gray uh and for those of you that don't know cable is another alternate version of nate gray who is also made up from an alternate universe's version. <laughs> well, um, well, technically, Cable, his origin is he's the actual son of Cyclops and Madeline Pryor, but Madeline Pryor was revealed to be a clone, a clone. or something of Jean Grey. <laughs> and then when he was a baby, he had to get sent into the future where he was raised um in a dystopian future under the rule that was ruled by apocalypse and he got infected by a techno organic virus so he has to use so much of his power to hold that virus at bay and somehow he got sent back to the present but now he's older than his dad hang tight kids (laughs) it's the (laughs) x-men i mean we're not done either so rachel gray summers is from another alternate future where um, she is the child of Scott Summers and Jean Grey. This time she's the child of Scott Summers and Jean Grey, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, she's from the Days of Future Past uh, timeline. Yeah. Uh, It's a future where Sentinels have taken over the world and have hunted humans to the brink of extinction. Hunted mutants. Hunted mutants to the brink of extinction. Wait, they never, they didn't turn on their human masters, like Terminator 2? 
well, I guess they did, but I think they still keep the humans around as slaves or something. But oh, the graveyards are full of mutants. Oh. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not much better, but okay. <laughs> well, would you rather be alive or would you rather be dead? I'll give you that. Okay. <laughs> Score one for being alive. <laughs> uh, in addition to Rachel... So we have Cable. We have Nate Gray uh, slash X-Man. We have Rachel Gray Summers slash Phoenix. Uh, we also have Havoc, which is the brother of uh, Scott Summers. This is Alex Summers. And he is also the uncle uh, to Cable... Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess he's everybody's uncle. <laughs> I guess yeah, he's everybody's uncle. I, I didn't know what, what if the term still applied if he was an alternate dimension version's uncle, but I guess he applies. <laughs> yeah, um, things get a little bit. Conf your family tree gets a little confusing if you have uh, alternate realities and parallel timelines <laughs> to deal with. <laughs> well, but this version of Havoc is the mutant X version of Havoc, so he's from another alternate dimension. <laughs> Where I forget what the main conceit of that dimension is, but I think the main the the main thing about that dimension is in that dimension, Havoc's like a big deal. He's he's like the premier superhero of that dimension. Yeah, it, it's it's something about how uh, I think what happened in the Mutant X series was that Havoc it was the actual Havoc who got transported into this alternate reality yeah. yeah 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 and in this alternate reality i think cyclops uh died or something happened to cyclops where he wasn't around yeah and then everybody else in the x-men there's some just they're just twisted darker versions of what they are in the mainline universe yeah but havoc ends up uh rallying a cast of characters with him to fight some dudes or something or other yeah i i can't say i ever read the entire series uh because howard mackie wrote it yeah <laughs> uh yeah. no disrespect to howard mackie <laughs> well maybe some <laughs> well i mean mostly the the thing about it is i i chose havoc because i'm a i'm a havoc fan so i back i, I back havoc he's you he's back havoc. Of, back the vac I back the back box. <laughs> back the box. <laughs> uh, I mean, I feel like he—he's he, a dude that doesn't get a lot of love. Even even in the current, in the most recent, or it's not even the most recent, but uh, when they did Uncanny Avengers a few years back, one of the things I remember about it was Rick Remender wrote Havoc in, and he was a guy who had, who at this point had been a bunch of part had been a part of a bunch of failed teams and it yeah i got the sense that for him he he they wrote him almost like he was a a, a player on a sports team who just got you know kept getting kicked out of the major leagues and yeah you know, he that's was a good the, way to put it he was in the b leagues for a long time and just kind of forgotten and they finally put him back on a major league team and he was he was like well this is my one chance to like prove to them that i'm not a screw up that was that was my impression of how rick remender wrote him yeah that was a good run that was yeah. a good run yeah but i like havoc you know like 
I, I even like his 80s design with the egg beaters and, like, the crackles. <laughs> like, he's... The power, like, I, I like the name, and uh, I like how powerful his energy blasts were, and I like how they looked, those concentric rings, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, his energy signature was always pretty cool looking. Yeah. What did you think about the X-Men movie version of Havoc? I didn't think that was really cool, because they were just, like, discs or something, weren't they? He was just, I like, don't even remember how his rings. power looked. I just yeah. remember that he was in some of those movies. The, like just, he was in first class, wasn't he? Yeah, I think that might have been the only one he was in. Oh, I thought he was in uh, Dark Phoenix or maybe Apocalypse. I can't remember. They were all pretty bad movies. I don't think he was in Apocalypse. Because in Apocalypse, they had that they they did bring in Cyclops and Jean Grey. Well. Yeah, it was bad. You know what? It's really not worth spending brain yeah, cells yeah. thinking about it. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Moving on, uh, in addition to Havoc from the Mutant X universe, but I guess he's really just the 616 Havoc. Uh, That's fine. Yeah. We have Hope Summers. Um, I forget what... Uh, so so Hope Summers it? is also from the 616... When we were talking about Messiah Complex a couple of weeks ago, she was the baby that was born, uh, that everybody... She was the, the mutant, the first mutant birth ever since the decimation occurred after House of M. And everybody wanted her because she was supposed to be some kind of a mutant messiah or something. I don't really know how they came to that conclusion. It might have had something to do with uh, Destiny's Diaries or something. But... um. The reason why she has a place on this team is because she's a time traveler too. What happened in at the end of Messiah Complex is that Cable was the one who took her and he ended up taking her to keep her safe. He took her into the future and basically raised her as his own daughter. And when she came back to the present day 616, she was a teenage girl. She's got kind of a vaguely defined power set, but if you've been reading Hickman's X-Men books, uh, her her powers are actually pretty uh, mind-blowing. Okay. Nice, that, nice. That's, yeah, that's why she's, uh, that's why we picked her, because she's a pretty notable Summers family character who is also a time traveler. Yeah. She fits in with the overall uh, theme of what we're going for. Yeah. Um, and the last person on the main squad, um, and she's not related to them, but, well, she's not related to them by blood or familially related with them, but she's related to exiles as a concept. Uh, and this is Blink. Uh, she's Blink-182. <laughs> Blink-182. Um, what's my age again all, all the small things our episode today is full of old references home slice seriously <laughs> home skillet <laughs> um but blink was a character from 
also from the Age of Apocalypse universe, she had the power to throw these daggers that could teleport things. Um, and she's, which, yeah, so she's also from the same uh, alternative universe as Nate Gray. And, um, well, the reason that we chose her to be a part of the main squad is because since this is an exile story, if you know anything about comics, if you know anything about the exiles, Blink is, has always been a major feature in the uh, Exiled series. Um, she, when they came up with her in the Age of Apocalypse, she was one of the breakaway characters. I think a lot of people liked her, and they liked her so much that they ended up looking for more ways to, to integrate her into the regular Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So those that's the main squad. Um, do, do you want me to go into the other? Just knock them we off. We could do a quick rundown of all the other characters yeah. that'll make an appearance. Sure. Okay. So we'll also we'd also want to have Dark Beast, which is an alternate universe Age of Apocalypse version of the Beast. Uh, Teen Beast, which is uh, a time displaced version of the Beast. Uh, yeah, that's the that's version true. of Hank McCoy that uh, during the Bendis X Men era he brought in, he brought the basically like the old teenage '60s version of the X Men into the present. Yeah, we uh, we thought it'd be cool to have those two together because, well, the Dark Dark Beast is also a villain, so uh, it'd be we thought it'd be an interesting dynamic to have them play off against one another mm-hmm. um there's also we also wanted to have bishop on the team uh he's he's a mutant cop from the also from the days of the future past future right i think so i don't know if it's actually the actually exact one yeah it might be of a future that's just similar to it i, I don't I'm not exactly yeah. sure, and I, I don't care enough to check Wikipedia. Fair enough. Fair but enough. Bishop is on the team because he is probably one of the most notable time-traveling X-Men. Yeah. So it'd be kind of weird to do a story like this and not have him show up. Yeah. Um, we also, also have... in, in the 90s, he had a jerry curl and a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his fashion sense was pretty interesting his, his <laughs> entire look was pretty interesting <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know what he's up to nowadays yeah I, I can't i can't think of it i haven't been reading all the x-men comics since yeah. dawn of x so i'm not sure mm, do you have any love for Bishop? uh honestly not really i think I liked his name. I always thought his name was cool. I think just like yeah, a simple chess piece. That was I thought that was a cool name. About his name well, about him was his name. I I would happen to agree. Yeah, but I think the way that he was in the '90s, it yeah. was just so rooted in that era. Like number one, the hair. Yeah. And then secondly, they always drew him as this crazy big muscle bound dude. And even though he had powers, his his ability is to absorb. Uh, kinetic energy and redirect it yeah. um in concussive in some sort of a kinetic blast or something yeah but 
even though he had that power, they always gave him this this crazy rifle from the future. Like he always had some some weird gun, you know? Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was like they thought it was like they thought, hey, Cable was really popular, so let's just do another version of Cable. You know, yeah. another guy from the future who has yeah, who has a gun and a lot of pouches. Yeah. Um Well, an Asian guy created him, so there's that. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Yeah. Will's Portatio, right? Yeah. So Alright, so in addition to Bishop, we also have Longshot. Um I just know he's from the Mojo verse. I don't really know anything else about him. Is there anything else I need to know? He had a mullet. He had a mullet. He uh, so he's from a universe where um, entertainment runs everything, and he's he's like a celebrity, I guess. He's uh, like the foremost uh, reality TV star in a society that revolves around reality TV. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. That's a good <laughs> um, and this one you're gonna have to explain because you've explained it to me several times, but I, like, I can't for the life of me like form the words to describe it. But so next we have Shatterstar. Um, I don't. Yeah. Know. So so Shatterstar is another '90s guy, and I'm pretty sure um, Rob Liefeld created him. But at some point down the line. You know how all these characters, even though they're created by other people, someone else eventually will add their spin. You know, yeah, add their put their mark on the character. So, some years after Shatterstar was introduced, he was basically originally just a, another guy from some alternate world where fighting was everything. Yeah. So he was a guy who who knew how to fight with swords and stuff. Uh, I guess he had like special agility or heightened senses, so he was kind of like the X Force uh, Wolverine. Yeah. But anyway, at some point, somebody wrote a story, and I think it was Peter David, to make it so that Shatterstar is not only the biological son of Longshot, but he is also Longshot's father. <laughs> <laughs> And it all involves time travel, yeah, and a deal with the devil. <laughs> <laughs> From what I got of it, was he had to go into the future to provide the genetic material that would give birth to him. yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dumb, but that's why we have yeah. to have Longshot and Shatterstar in our story. <laughs> He's essentially uh, a time traveling hillbilly, is what. He is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's so ridiculous. It it only happens in comics or Futurama. Yeah. Nice. You remember that episode? <laughs> well done, dude. Well done. <laughs> uh, I thought I was the only one that remembered. But okay. Very good. Very good. I see you, Albert. I see you. I appreciate that. Much appreciation. Next up, we have Nocturne. She's uh, also from the Exiles book. She's uh, she's she the she's an alternate reality daughter of Nightcrawler and Scarlet Witch. So she has both of their power oh. sets. I didn't know that. I I thought she was uh, like a, just an alternate reality version of Nightcrawler that was a woman, but 
Oh, I didn't know she was uh, had Scarlet Witch as a mom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So she, she has um teleportation, but as well as yeah, the hex, the hex yeah. powers. Yeah, I didn't know how to describe those. Yeah, she's a character I've always enjoyed. Nightcrawler is one of my favorite X Men. Yeah, and our story needs more uh, females in them, so. Having Nocturne in there definitely uh, makes more sense than looking for an alternate reality Nightcrawler. Yeah. Uh, in addition to that, uh, because this is an X book, you have to have some kind of Wolverine. So we got Old Man Logan. Uh, he's he's from a story uh, that was done by Mark Miller and Steve McNiven. McNiven, uh, and it was a story that. Uh, I guess for those of you that don't read comics, it's it's kind of the template for the Logan movie, mm-hmm. but it's 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 a version of Wolverine who lives in the distant future where, um, you know, the world has been decimated and he uh, he's he's become a farmer, uh, a reclusive farmer who just wants to have you know, his peace and quiet. It's very much a, it's, it's, it takes Western, you know, spaghetti Western themes and just applies it to Wolverine. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, old man Logan for you. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to that, another, uh, alternate dimension character is Deathlock. He's, uh, he's a cyborg super soldier from an alternate dimension where, a uh, corporation has taken over the world, and uh, they use these soldiers to fight battles for them. Uh, and he's one of the cyborgs that rebelled against his uh, makers, and you know goes off into his dystopian future to fight this corporation as well as whatever evils exist out in the world. Yeah. Yeah, and there was also a version. You might people might be wondering, wait, what what does Deathlock have to do with X Men? But the yeah. reason why is because uh, in in Rick Remender's Uncanny X Force, they brought uh, a Deathlock into the present, and he was part of the team for a while. So there's your tenuous X connection. Yeah, well, yeah, he was he wasn't just part of that. Uh, I do remember that at some point he was. In the uh, Jason Aaron used him in his oh yeah that's right run, and I he think, ended up yeah that's right yeah he ended up putting him in uh, Wolverine and the X Men too so, that's right he he gave a lecture to the class or something as a guest instructor yeah yeah so I remember Devlock, that issue Devlock it's it's interesting because he's not a a character that you automatically associate with the X universe um, he doesn't really. I guess if I had to associate him with anything uh, for the longest time, all I knew was the Michael Collins Deathlock, and I probably associated him with like Spider-Man and Ghost Rider more than because of that story. Eric Larson story. Uh, well, I feel like he teamed up with Spider-Man a bunch of times because he ended Did up he? teaming up with him in Maximum Carnage, and then oh, uh, that's true. Uh, they crossed over into each other's books quite a few times as well. That's true. That was a different Deathlock, though. That Deathlock yeah. wasn't from the future. That was Michael Collins, yeah. Yeah. But that's 
that's what I was saying was like, I just, my, my, my brain to me, my, so I think Deathlock came out. What? The, the, like the, very, the are you talking the, about the original Deathlock? Yeah. The original Deathlock came out like probably in the seventies, I think. Yeah. Even before I was born. So the Deathlock I knew was Michael Collins. But yeah. That's the anyways. one I grew up with too. Yeah. But yeah, there have been several over the years. Yeah. Uh, next, we have Layla Miller. Um, was she's she a character that was introduced in House of M. Okay. That was that was when she made her first appearance. She was just a young girl, or a, I don't know, uh, maybe a teenager or a young teen. Was she kind of the linchpin of the? Well, the thing is, is that in the House of M, when when House of M happened reality was rewritten basically and she was the only for some reason she was one of a handful of people who was able to recognize that the entire world was changed um and this wasn't the way that things were supposed to be and somehow because she was a mutant she had a power that was able to uh, allow people to regain their memories Mm. and then later on um after the house of m ended and things were restored back to normal uh, she actually ended up joining x-factor investigations when peter david was doing that book yeah i think she got older somehow like something happened she traveled through time and aged up and <laughs> and became yeah. her own mother <laughs> <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Dang, we have to go there, Alfred. <laughs> We're just gonna assume every time traveler is their own progenitor from now on. <laughs> every time travel story that we write is gonna end with someone becoming their own parent. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that's funny. That's funny, dude. That is. Um, go ahead. Yeah, nothing, nothing much else to her. That's all I was really going to say. We can move on. Okay. Uh, next up we have, uh, Mariko Yoshida, Sunfire. Uh, I think this is the same Sunfire from the Exiles, right? Yeah, I believe so. Um, she's in here because we need an Asian. (laughs) Uh, I couldn't really think of any other Asian... X-Men characters that had something to do with uh, time traveling or alternate realities. Yeah. So she was, I guess, outside of, like, coming up with an excuse to have Jubilee or somebody, uh, this alternate version of Sunfire will have to suffice. Yep. Yep. Now, somebody out there might say, well, what about Psylocke? She was part of the Captain Britain (laughs) Corps, and they're pretty much associated with alternate realities. But in my mind, Psylocke's not a real Asian. <laughs> she was she was manipulated, which yeah, is, yes. I don't know what that is. It's just weird. <laughs> she, Psylocke, the popular conception of Psylocke is that she's actually a, uh, a Caucasian British woman <laughs> whose mind was transplanted into the body of a Japanese assassin. So that's why physically she has she has the appearance of an Asian lady, but uh, 
it's just some really uncomfortable race bending. Yeah, I don't. I I, I guess that's where I draw the line. You know, like I'm okay with alternate realities and parallel <laughs> timelines, but once you get into weird racial undertones, I yeah. don't really want that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't want to have a hard time explaining it. <laughs> yeah. I have an easier time explaining that Shatterstar is his own father. <laughs> um, well, so in addition to that, we decided, or yeah, we decided we also wanted the other Sunfire from Age of Apocalypse. Um, and I, I, I mostly recommended him just because... I always liked his look in uh, Age of Apocalypse. It's probably one of the best things to come out of there. It was drawn by Carl, uh, Chris uh, Bacalo. Oh, was so, he the one who designed it? I'm pretty sure he did. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did not know that. Um, yeah, I think. Well, you know what? I'll have to look that up. Uh, don't, don't quote me on that. So, other than that, uh, we have Keelun. Kylan, uh, he was from Excalibur. Yeah, I think um, I think his name is pronounced Kylan. Okay, Kylan. I think he's, it's K Y L U N. He's he's a time traveler also, but as far as I know, he is not his own father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's he, like a cat warrior sort of creature, right? He, yeah, he kind of looks like a like a maybe like a thunder cat. Almost, but not oh, not not that's exactly. A good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> he he just yeah he he's got some sort of uh, feral characteristics, but he's not really like Wolverine. Yeah. Um, he does know how to fight. He's a trained fighter. Yeah. But for some reason, uh, he's not. He he's not a wild kind of guy. You know, he's not a wild kind of uh, vicious character or anything. But he's he's just. Someone who knows how to fight and who happens to have animalistic uh, physical traits. Like, yeah. he's pretty hairy, and I think his teeth are sharp. He might have uh, animal keen senses, but his mutant power, it's an interesting one. He has the mutant power to mimic any sound. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a power that doesn't really seem to have anything to do with combat. Yeah. But that's why he knows how to fight and use a sword. Was he a mutant? Yeah, that was his mutant ability. Sound okay. mimicry. Okay. He was in Excalibur. How is he a time traveler? How is he a time traveler? Yeah, like what or what future was he from? Or like, cause I I only remember him because they made a card for him, and I want to say one of the X Men trading cards. Mm-hmm. But. That was really the only um, exposure I had ever had to him. Like, and oddly enough, I still remember it to this day. Just because, just because, even then, I was like, I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I liked him because uh, in the Alan Davis Excalibur run, he was part of the team. Yeah. And that, that's one of my favorite uh, 90s superhero comics. That, that's something I would uphold as a hidden gem. Not, not, not the stuff that Chris Claremont wrote, but just the stuff that Alan Davis wrote and drew himself in Excalibur in the 90s. That, yeah, yeah. that is some stuff I would 
I would totally recommend that. It still holds up, man. It still holds up today. Okay. But but yeah, Kylan's deal is that he was he was a kid uh in the in our present and for some reason he was running away from some bad people and got transported to the future and then got brought back or he grew up in that future and was trained to be uh, a warrior and when he became an adult he was sent back to the present and that was when he joined uh, Excalibur because I think he he helped them or they helped him fight whatever it was he came back in time to fight I, I can't remember the exact details um, okay. I need to reread that run at some point okay um, okay yeah I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what he's been up to lately but uh, like you've often spoke of uh, how good that run by Alan Davis was so it's it's always been on my mind to check out borrow from you someday yeah <laughs> totally man totally um, next up, since we're doing alternate dimensions, we, we felt like we had to throw this in here, but Captain Britain, um, mm-hmm. so, uh, Captain Britain is, uh, he's a, he's a superhero from, uh, Excalibur, and his thing is, he is a part of a core of Captain Britain's, uh, from, across the multiverse so every every multiverse has one and mm-hmm. they come together to i i presume fight evil threats yeah um, yeah pretty thing, much yeah um i always like the design for captain britain and uh for me personally uh we, we had a discussion prior to the podcast uh where we were talking about which captain britain we wanted to choose and i think i think we settled on brian braddock right yeah that's right yeah like he's he's the captain britain i grew up with and uh he's captain britain as far as i'm concerned but there have been other captain britons like i think you mentioned that betsy braddock is currently captain britain mhm yeah um yeah uh one interesting tidbit about him uh and i might be wrong about this but i mentioned it to you uh the thing about him is his powers uh (laughs) are connected with britain so like you know depending on how powerful britain feels he you know he could either be more powerful or less powerful yeah so if britain's uh gdp is high he gains strength so the the better their economy is the more powerful captain britain is if they just signed a new trade deal he's gonna be jacked (laughs) (laughs) he's just gonna be roided out (laughs) you lift bro you even lift (laughs) <laughs> um <laughs> uh, funny thing is is that captain britain technically isn't even a mutant but it just feels like he fits into the mutant world so we're just throwing yeah. him in there i mean the first thing that i ever knew him from was excalibur um and that was an x book and even though x books traditionally have a bunch of mutants 
Um, he was not a mutant. <laughs> yeah. So he's part of the X family. I accept that. Next up, we have Legion. Yeah, he is the uh, telepathic son. Telepathic? Telekinetic? I can't tell which one. Um, yeah. He's the telepathic son of Charles Xavier. Um, he's just a massively powerful but unstable telepath. Um, he also has the ability... He has all sorts of abilities. He, he yeah. can travel through time. Um, and that's really why we have him as part of the story because yeah. uh, he was the reason why the Age of Apocalypse happened. So Age of Apocalypse from the 90s happened because Legion went back in time so he could be his own father. <laughs> but he accidentally killed Professor Xavier. So he, that's uh, why Apocalypse gained power. He wasn't trying to be his own father. <laughs> <laughs> So, his whole thing was, um, as far as I remember it, he believed in Charles Xavier's dream so much that he felt like the only thing that was hindering it this whole time was Magneto. So, he wanted to go back in time and kill Magneto before he becomes Magneto, the Mag- the, the Magneto that they face today. Yeah, and, and being a tactical genius, Legion goes back in time and decides to make his hit at a moment when Magneto is having dinner with Professor Xavier. So instead of waiting for a moment where Magneto was, you know, alone in his room sleeping, he decides to attack Magneto when Magneto is with somebody else. And somebody else just happens to be Legion's own father who ends up taking the blow meant for Magneto. Yeah. And he di- he disappears in the instant that he kills him. <laughs> so he may have the ability to travel through time. He has telepathy, telekinesis, probably some sort of reality warping power. Yep. Uh, but one of his abilities is not common tactical sense. genius. <laughs> it's not <a> common sense. <laughs> He's an idiot. <laughs> if if we were looking at his Marvel card right now, his intelligence rating would be one. Um. So, in addition to that, we also have Gwenpool. Uh, <laughs> she's a version, or I, she's not even a version of Deadpool. She was a character that they designed for a cover that was supposed to be a cute girl version of Deadpool who became really popular just through her optics that they created this character who was a a fangirl basically who enters the world of comics so she's she's sort of has that meta that fourth wall breaking ability that Deadpool has and Mm -hmm. Uh, her thing is she travels to their dimension, so she's she's interdimensional technically. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we just wanted to have you know Ken fodder characters, and we thought it'd be best that we have a couple on hand to sacrifice 
Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> everybody knows that when you have an event story, the only way to really sell the stakes is if people got to die. die. <laughs> yeah. So we got to have characters that we can kill. So Gwenpool is definitely in the Deadpool. <laughs> well done. She's she's gonna probably die pretty early on in the story, so that everybody knows it's a serious story with real consequences, and nobody is safe. <laughs> uh, nice. Um, yeah. So uh, the final character involved in the story would be Proteus. Uh, this is uh, Moira McTaggart's son. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget Charles. Xavier is not his dad, right? No, no. Okay. So, uh, so you know who his dad is, though, right? Who? Himself? Proteus. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Who's his dad? Proteus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so Proteus was a character. Uh, so he's the child of Moira McTaggart, and the thing about him was he was a mutant that was so powerful. Uh, so his his power was the ability to alter reality. Um, I don't know if he can alter it like everywhere, but at least in his immediate vicinity, he can definitely alter it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and. Uh, the only thing about him is that about him is that I think he's vulnerable to metal. Yeah, that's right. Metal can kill him. Um, so we decided to have him in the story as our uh, antagonist because, uh, yeah, the way we wanted to set it up was um, he has the ability to warp reality, but uh, that in all likelihood includes the ability to travel between realities. Uh, and there's the potential that he can do a lot of harm and damage. So our our primary story would be about um, our our team of exiles uh, hunting him down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but really, uh, it's about Cable, Nate Gray, Rachel Summers, Havoc, Hope Summers, and Blink chasing down Proteus. Yeah. They'll, they'll hunt him to the ends of the earth. They'll hunt him to the ends of the multiverse. <laughs> Proteus! <laughs> you can't escape me! <laughs> we'll hunt you to the ends of the multiverse! <laughs> <laughs> if you guys don't know what we're talking about, it's a YouTube video uh, clip from the old Spider-Man cartoon. It was yeah, the bad. 90s Spider-Man cartoon where yeah. Spider-Man is chasing Shocker. I'm pretty yeah. sure if you just go to YouTube and type in Spider-Man Shocker, you'll find it. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, some pretty genuinely awful voice acting. Yeah. But but it's so bad, it's funny. <laughs> so you kind of have to listen to it. Yeah. It's it's mesmerizingly bad. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, our, on the surface, that would be our story. But we wanted to reveal at some point that in fact cable isn't actually cable uh cable being the one who puts the team together uh and we want to reveal the at some point the the big revelation being that cable 
is actually Strife. Yep, Strife, yep. spelled with a Y, so you know yeah. he's a bad guy. He's extreme. He's extreme, yes. <laughs> so Strife is... Just an X. <laughs> <laughs> X, Treme. <laughs> you want to so, explain what Strife is to us? Strife is a clone of Cable. <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty much all there is to it. He's just a, a literal evil clone of a guy who was, you know, a time traveler. <laughs> so his his origin is obviously convoluted as well. But the yeah. basic fundamental concept of Strife is something that I thought makes for compelling motivation because he just hates Cable. Yeah. But when he looks in the mirror... He sees Cable, you yeah. know. He's he, he's a clone he can't of escape his. He can't his, escape the thing that he hates the most at all. Exactly, exactly. Every day is a reminder. Exactly. So the the, the thing that we would learn at at the climax of the story is that all this time these exiles haven't been uh, hunting down Proteus to save the multiverse. They've actually been helping strife to eliminate proteus yeah because he wants to eliminate every version of cable in every multiverse yeah <laughs> because that's how much he hates cable yeah he's driven so mad by it that since proteus has these unlimited energies uh potential uh, at his disposal that unleashing them upon the multiverse would be his opportunity to make sure that Cable slash Nate Gray never exists in any universe. Yeah, exactly. That's uh that's powerful hatred. It's it's a motivation that is simple but also intense, you know? Like it it's I feel like people don't always like villains whose motivations are just based on pure evil. Yeah. Like people tend, I feel like a lot of people on the internet, at least seem to like villains that are sympathetic or have some kind of depth to them where you can understand why they do what they do. I'm going to go against that and say, (laughs) if you don't understand what it is to hate somebody, (laughs) then maybe you haven't been living out the full emotional spectrum. (laughs) You feel me on that, Albert? Uh, (laughs) That is one way to put it. I I will take that. (laughs) No, it's like everybody wants to have a villain that they can somehow find some kind of understanding or... Or commonality with, you know, I think that's why Magneto tends to be a popular villain because he's somebody who's been subjected to abuse and and hatred, and he's just doing what in his mind he thinks is right. So, yeah. you know, in his own mind, he's a hero. Yeah. But and and I'm not even saying that uh, that doesn't work for me at all. I mean, I'll say it doesn't work for me with Magneto, but with in just in fiction in general, I don't, I'm not opposed to that idea, you know, like I'm not opposed yeah. to 
adding shades of of gray or shades of depth to the villains. But, but they can't if, all be like that. Yeah, they can't all be like that because yeah. if you know anything about people in real life, it's that there are people that are just bad people, you know? Like yeah. There are people that are just monsters inside and and outside and yeah. there's nothing to really excuse or justify why they do what they do. Why they do what they do when they do what they do. With no curfew. Exactly. You like that? I'm about as confused as I was when we were trying to understand how Shatterstar could be his own father. But I'll just, you know, I'm smiling and nodding at you right now. You can't see me, but I'm sounding like I understand what you're saying. But, but yeah. yeah, I was just saying. I was I was saying how I think hatred is a powerful motivation, and I, I'm okay with, especially in a story like this that's a spectacle. Yeah, I don't really need a whole lot of uh, in-depth character exploration. I just want some really big, bombastic emotional content. Yeah, like, and what's easier to understand than pure hate. hatred? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I I accept that, and yeah, I I I second that idea. Like I, I'm probably more um, I'm probably more accepting of of uh of the idea of a you know of a compassionate quote unquote Magneto. Um, I don't even think compassionate is necessarily the word I'm, that I'm using to describe him, but. You know, a, a Magneto with uh, motivations, uh, understandable motivations, whatever, what have you. But, um, yeah, I, I think the, the, the issue with a lot of stories is um, they tend to skew towards that direction. So what we end up having is, you know, uh, a bunch of writers who are constantly trying to give uh, villains those level of depth that doesn't necessarily always apply, you know, like there mm-hmm. are some characters that are just chaos incarnate, <laughs> like the Joker. Like he yeah. doesn't, I don't really feel like, I, I think it's okay for him to just be crazy. <laughs> That's I'm fine with that. <laughs> well, uh, he's a clown, a comedian and, a, and a criminal. So, uh, okay. Okay. What do you think of that, Albert? Um, there are three of them. I I think Geoff Johns has some explaining to do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, that's yeah, uh, that's probably not my preferred version of the Joker. But sure, whatever. Uh, yeah, it's it's not. But uh. Have you thought of a title for our X-Men event? Oh, jeez. Um... You want something uh, like crazy and fun or just something that just sounds good? Anything, man. Anything you got, I'll take it. Oh, jeez. Uh, man, what's, what's something like... Uh... 
the multiverse saga. <laughs> <laughs> the X Men well, do love their sagas, right? Yeah, I mean, wasn't Proteus a saga? Like, yeah, I think it the was Proteus the Proteus saga? saga. That was Claremont too, wasn't it? Yeah, that was Claremont. <laughs> and then we had the Dark Phoenix saga. He also gave us the Demon Bear saga. There was also the Mirror Island saga. Yeah. I'm probably forgetting a couple of sagas I'm he sure wrote. He, he had a bunch of different sagas. Uh, we could we could steal something from DC. We could call it the, the Multiverse Contract. <laughs> <laughs> like the Judas contract? <laughs> yeah, sure. Take that. <laughs> we could call it. Uh, how how about uh, X Metal? <laughs> <laughs> wow. You want to steal something from DC? X Metal. <laughs> the X Men who laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Three X Men. <laughs> Three X Men. <laughs> I don't know. Like I. So um, you know, we've we've played around with like writing before. Uh, you know, and I don't think people realize like how hard it is to name things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's something you that know? we. We we talked a lot about the concept and the characters. We we didn't really talk about our title, so we'll yeah. we'll just have to think about it some more and uh, come back with it at maybe in a future episode if we remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe next week we can throw some throw some ideas out. You know. Heck, if anybody out there listening has an idea, hit us up. Hit us yeah. up. We can call it the Phalanx Covenant. <laughs> I don't know what it means, but it sounds cool. <laughs> the Multiverse Covenant. <laughs> Between the gutters of the multiverse. <laughs> All right. Anything else uh, you want to say before we sign off, Albert? No, I, I, I think that was a fun uh, podcast, a uh, fun topic that we had. Um, you know, if anyone wants to hit us up on social media, you know, our Instagram is between the gutters. Uh, and you can also email us if you have any questions. In fact, we encourage it. You know, just uh, if we get enough questions, we, we might do another grab bag uh, somewhere down the road. Um, yeah, you know, we, we want to hear from you guys. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. All right, this is Between the Gutters signing off. Hopefully, we'll no longer have to talk about anybody becoming their own father. (laughs) This may be the only episode in our bibliography that involves multiple characters being their own fathers. (laughs) I mean, it's not incest right i guess not but it's more confusing than incest yeah yeah okay (laughs) uh uh, i accept that (laughs) man what a weird tone to go out on (laughs) yeah i'm trying to think of a something else to say so that we don't have to end the episode on that note (laughs) (laughs) well my mama always told me, 
Shaka Donka! <laughs> Shaka Donka, everyone! <laughs> Somebody once told me the world is going to roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. I wonder if anyone's going to get that reference, man. <laughs> I'm sure there are people who know Smash Mouth just for its comedic value. Shout out to the homie Eric. I'm pretty sure you're listening. You might be the only one who got that. that I'm jokes pretty for you. sure there are a bunch of kids who saw Shrek 2. Oh, that's oh, right. God. I forgot about that. What <laughs> are those. That's true. That's true. All right, everybody. Between the gutters, signing off. Peace out. Peace out, y'all.